My name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we explore the design of cities and places and try to unpick how to make places where people thrive, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings more than the buildings themselves. I really love working with anthropologists and have done since I started The Developer because I find the way that they observe places to be so different. I'm often distracted by the architecture, but they manage to stay focused on the people and what they're experiencing. And this user experience of the city really helps me to understand what's working and what isn't in the design of our places. As part of this series look at some of my favorite pieces we've published this year, I'm going to talk about Rebecca Toop's piece on Shopping Center Liverpool One. Now, this was a place test, which meant Rebecca, an anthropologist, was on site at Liverpool One before lockdown and conducting interviews afterwards. At this time of turmoil in retail, with shops opening and closing, the change to permitted development rights, which will allow shops to be made into homes or other uses, and the pandemic's effect on independent retailers, I think it's an interesting time to consider just what shopping is for. As Toop writes, if Western culture is often called consumerist, there's more to shopping than consumption. Shopping outlets provide a stage for people to explore ideas about their identity, all while buying into the sense of being in a community that these spaces can provide. Now, when I read that, I think about being a teenager and going into the changing room with stacks of clothes from Topshop or from H&M or wherever it was that we liked. I think Urban Outfitters was a big one. Um, and and how many of these were like putting on costumes or putting on different um, hats that I might wear. It's a very different experience uh, to online shopping, although um, at times in the office I would witness uh, a bunch of uh, women in the bathroom unpacking their ASOS deliveries and trying them on for each other, much as we might have done in the changing rooms of our favourite shop. Developed by Grosvenor, Liverpool One is one of Europe's biggest city centre mixed-use developments. It's 42 acres, and as the name suggests, that it belongs to Liverpool as two brights. It opened in 2008, and it is widely acknowledged that Liverpool City Council's partnership approach to the development of Liverpool One is a tale of success. Now, Toop interviewed many different visitors on site, and as one says, to me, it's not a retail park. A retail park is like you're in the shopping mall in America. You drive in, then you drive out. With this, it's the heart. It's now, to me, the heart of the city. In Tube's piece, she talks about how this £920 million development, which is open air, it's connected into the surrounding streets, um, has been stitched into the fabric of the city. This means, as Tube writes, that there is very little sense of other streets or shopping areas being cut off and forgotten about. Tube writes, bookended by flagship stores Debenham and John Lewis, which are said to draw the public into the space, the site has a flow, with people constantly on the move, albeit at a leisurely stroll. Two prides of the open street layout means that you can wander and explore without it feeling overly scripted, unlike in a more traditional wall where you walk from one end to the other. There is a sense of there being more to discover, writes Two up a side street, around the corner. Thanks to the open-air design, light filters down to the lower level found in South John Street. 
but you would not realize that above you is an amphitheater of restaurants and a park in the sky. Tube notes that not all visitors appreciate the open air. As one Norwegian tourist told her, it's strange that they made the shopping center outside with all the bad weather. It should be inside, but it does appear to give visitors a greater sense of ownership of the space. I would consider all of this to be public space, to be honest, because we all walk through it like it's just outdoors. Another visitor remarked, I went to Liverpool one on the day it opened because I work in the city centre. A couple of us went down. We couldn't wait to go all excited, and that was the thing we said. It's like, well, this will never catch on. The roof doesn't go right across. We were so wrong, obviously, because you don't think twice about it. I think it makes it more airy, I guess. I don't know, welcoming. But I can remember all of us laughing, as if like, oh, they must have run out of money and things. But it was obviously the design. There are benches tube notes, but they are sporadically placed and come across as utilitarian, somewhere to rest between shops or wait for your partner rather than relaxing places for people to spend time. On the other hand, Shabazz Park and Sugarhouse Steps, a nod to Liverpool's historical role in the global sugar industry, are obvious meeting places and somewhere for people to, quote, have their sandwiches in the summertime. Shabazz Park is one of the few places in which you can stay in Liverpool One without spending money, and it fulfills a need to brights for open green space in the city centre. Located between the old docks, the cavern quarter, and the rope walks, the creative quarter, and host to Chinatown, Liverpool One is an ideal location for a central meeting place. That's something that Liverpool lacks, a centre, says one visitor. There's no central square. Well, there's Concert Square, which is dreadful, but there's no square that people can sort of chill out in. Up at the top there, Shabazz Park is all right, but it's a bit blowy. Two notes that the lack of clear boundaries to the site and the toned-down on-site branding further leads to the sense that Liverpool One is for the people. Very few of the visitors she spoke to could accurately tell the extent of the site, with many thinking it was just South John Street, bookended by John Lewis and Debenhams, and extending out to Paradise Street. I found Tube's description of this lack of a, a physical boundary really interesting, and certainly not something that we associate with a shopping mall, which are normally very clearly delineated with doors and almost a threshold space, uh, interconnecting it with the city. Two brights, there are none of the usual signs of citizen appropriation around the site, which is one of the clues that actually this is a private space. She writes, whereas just outside of the docks, people have quite literally made their mark, locking padlocks with names and messages to the railings, also not found on the Liverpool One site, are forms of political messaging, Fight racism, fight imperialism is seen on nearby Church Street. Or protest, PETA's No Fur campaign is visible outside flannels. And these are swiftly moved on. If you wish to stage a protest at Liverpool One, you have to apply in advance. And I think Toops pointing this out is one of the examples how anthropology can help us to understand when a site feels cold or somehow uh, 
unusual. It could be that this uh, cleanliness of the site or the lack of personal uh, details or personalization of it through uh, graffiti or through acts of protest or posters, flyers, these kind of elements that point to a community ownership of the site. Toop also describes the not insignificant physical barrier between museums on the docks and Liverpool One, the Strand, an eight-lane A-road. Although well-served with pedestrian crossings, the demolition of a pedestrian bridge in 2007 have left many people intimidated by this busy road, and accidents are not uncommon. One visitor says, Quote, when there are big events in the city, like the Giants, they close that road. And again, that makes it a hole. Toop notes that there is competition for Liverpool One from areas of local independent shops, such as Bold Street, which has a vibrancy and a sense of life being lived that is lacking in Liverpool One. Quote, I'd prefer to eat elsewhere, says one visitor. A lot of these restaurants are chains. I prefer smaller places. We usually eat at Bold Street, a visitor tells her. The proliferation of well-known brands and chains at Liverpool One, two brights, means that Grosvenor has to work harder for people to feel that they are gaining a unique experience from the site. This is achieved through different means. Non-retail elements, such as events and apps, pop-up shops, such as the Barbie Store Fashion Pop-Up, which was a particular favorite noted by shoppers, and of course, the open-air street layout. Tube says one of the biggest successes of the development is to have made Liverpool One feel like it belongs to the locals, something of which Liverpudlians can be proud of. Grover has tried to tone down its presence as an external developer by using limited on-site branding and unclear boundaries to the site. This gives a sense of any added atmosphere created in the space being a public service, as opposed to a PR stunt. It supports local charities such as Clare House Children's Hospice. It has a one community stand that raises awareness of different causes and the Liverpool One Foundation, which has donated more than £1.5 million to community projects. Two believes that physical shops currently have the advantage over online shops, although this may change with advancements in augmented and virtual reality, as well as the enduring legacy of COVID-19. Which brings us to my favorite insight from this piece by Toop. Shops provide a stage for the theatrical act of shopping. The ability for people to try on outfits and explore different ways of expressing themselves. Purchases are inscribed with meaning, whether that's improving your home sanctuary, constructing images of the ideal husband or child, or developing your concept of self and self-image. Shopping is almost always linked to social relationships and is therefore easier to express in a social, public setting. This part of Tube's piece really struck me at this time of pandemic when we've been shopping uh, more online um, than ever. And one of the things that shopping has become is a very solitary act. Uh, me and the website um, browsing pictures is not quite the same as uh, being with a girlfriend in, in, in the 
changing rooms and um, giggling as you try on something that looks terrible, uh, the bonding and the fun around that. It also has struck me more than once that whether it's online shopping for uh, groceries or um, for picking up clothes or whatever it is that we need, that in some ways we've lost an excuse to uh, go out into the city and explore. And uh, that shopping mall was very much a safe space for me and my friends as young women. It was somewhere we were allowed to go and spend the day. It was considered a safe place in the city or a safe activity, daytime activity for us to do together away from men. I mean, even if they were there, it was the sense that we were um, kind of the owners of that space. It was a, the shopping mall was a space that we could own or the shopping avenue was a space, uh, a female space that we could own and feel safe in. And it's interesting how online um, shopping has in some instances taken away that excuse or um, extra uh, duty, needing a pair of jeans or needing a new pair of shoes. Um, it's taken away that opportunity to, to use that, that so-called need uh, to create a, a social stage uh, to perform some kind of act of friendship or bonding. Now, I'm not an advocate for a consumerist society, but I am interested in what replaces that. Is it the coffee shop? Uh, you know, uh, is it dogs? Uh, what, what replaces that social um, happening? When Toop was undertaking the research for this article, it was still the old normal. People were out shopping with their families, meeting friends for drinks, or wandering into the city centre after football matches. But at the time of Toop's writing, the shopping centre looked vastly different. Most unessential stores were closed, and Liverpool 1 was deserted. So Toop and I had some conversations about whether she, her findings were still valid in this post-COVID environment uh, and what we would do about uh, the publication of this piece and whether um, we needed to wait uh, to sit on it to see what happened. Um, and in many ways, uh, I found her findings to be really indicative of um, the social function of shopping and the way that we can create vast, large neighborhoods that fit into the city and the importance of those blurred edges and that opportunity for the public to make space their own. So in other words, there's just too much good stuff uh, for us to sit on waiting for an indeterminate future to emerge so that we could observe Liverpool one again. But I think once the vaccine has been distributed, it would be great to go back to Liverpool 1 and to assess uh, what's changed since this very um, specific window of time that we visited. Did, did normality return or had some uh, elements of the way that we shop change? Now for my own impressions of Liverpool 1, having visited many times, I was distracted by the architecture and I wasn't particularly um, excited by it, but I do uh, see the advantages of that open air shopping mall and how those edges are blurred. You, you don't know where it starts and, and where it finishes. 
and it does feel like it's a bit of city. Um, and I think it's been really interesting for me uh, to read Tube's writing about it, to understand the conversations she was having. And I have a new appreciation uh, for the way that Liverpool One um, serves uh, the people of Liverpool. Thanks a lot for listening. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. You'll find us at patreon.com slash the developer. UK and see you next time.